Carjacking old lady at a red light Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store You think it's cool, act a fool if you like Cuss out a cop, spit in his face Stomp on the flag and light it up Yeah, you think you're tough Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, Kelly Franco Troop. This is episode 272. It's a date in October with KFT. Before we bring Kelly on, I want to just make a mention to our audience. I want to thank close to 50,000 subscribers now. We appreciate your support. These shows are for you. And because of your support, we are now the latest streaming podcast on iHeartRadio. So Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher still holding strong, but we are getting a great uh, boost from iHeart now. So want to thank you guys there and please support their network as well. 74 countries still grassroots to MLB front offices. We're just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And if you continue to support us, we can continue to bring you great shows like we do here with Kelly every other week here. So with that, Kelly, welcome back to your show. Hey, Dave, what's happening? Nothing much. I know we were chronicling my Monopoly woes before the uh, the show here today, but uh, I know with uh, that that's a minor announcement compared to what you have in store for us with our announcement today. So uh, give us a little give us a little announcement. We've seen it on social, but I want our audience to be aware of it uh, so we can continue to support your your uh, posts there on social. You've made it a little bit more formal. Well, I have, Dave, and thanks for the introduction. I hope that you didn't mismanage expectations. Really, the exciting announcement is that my company, Three Inning Fan LLC, now has its own Facebook page. And our listeners know that they can find me on Instagram and Twitter at at Three Inning Fan. But if they're Facebook people, because not everybody is on Instagram or Twitter, if they're Facebook people, they can go right into that search bar, type in three inning fan, three is all spelled out. My page will pop up and I'd love if you, uh, if our listeners want to give it a follow or a like, and then they can see our podcasts. They can see my three inning minute videos, which are dropped about weekly. And they can also keep up on my upcoming lectures and see other news. That sounds good. And we'll support it on ours as well. And you guys will see it on the tag too. So if anybody is confused, just go right in our show notes when we post this show on, on Facebook and you'll see her her uh, Facebook site on there as well. So are there any lectures in the near future that you want to promote or pump to our audience? You know, I do have a few coming up, but they haven't been publicly announced yet. So I'm just going to keep them under wraps and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have some exciting news. I I have um I know that I have a couple of men's clubs lectures coming up and I'm already being booked for the spring. A lot of people, a lot of groups want these spring baseball lectures, but I have a I have a big and exciting one coming up in November. I'm just going to keep under wraps for another couple weeks. That's perfectly fine. It's, we're not we're just barely in the September right now, so we don't want to flood the market yet, but as you do as our audience uh if you are interested in Kelly speaking, please reach out to her directly. If you happen to reach out to me or the network, we'll forward it on to her as well. But great speakers had experience at the Hall of Fame. And one of my favorite ones, I guess, was one of your first ones you did where you, you educated women on how to appreciate the game of baseball to be better uh, partners, I guess, with their husbands. 
Well, yes, the way I said it, Dave, was that it was for spouses. But yes, we can say <laughs> we can say women. I think it's for um because in my marriage, I am the bigger baseball fan. Uh, but it is a, a one minute, one hour boot camp rather. And if your spouse is more into baseball than you in this one hour boot camp, I will get you up to speed, and I guarantee a happier marriage. Well, that that that's I think it'd be a wonderful talk for either side of the spouse equation, but that's partly why we have you on your show here. You get my my gender bias right there, and you very very quickly corrected it. So I appreciate the the reminder that it, it could go either way in in a relationship. So thank you for that. And with that, we'll get to top of the first. Um, you've got some waiver explanations. I think I could use a little tutelage in that as well. Oh my goodness, the the rules keep changing. And then there was news last week. So what they did is they changed the waiver system after 2019. And although this system has been in place for a few years, last week was the first week that we really saw a big salary dump, which we're going to talk about later. So I thought I would give a primer on how the waivers are working right now. So when a player is placed on outright waivers, or now they're often called irrevocable waivers, all other 29 teams have a chance to claim that player in reverse order of their current record. So last Tuesday, some players were placed on waivers, and it was interesting because the order that the teams were going to choose in wasn't even set yet because it was going to be set as of close of games on Wednesday. The team with the worst record that claims a player will get him, and there's no limit to how many players a team can claim. So if the Oakland A's, for example, if they wanted to claim every player on waivers, they could do that. Now, they won't, they didn't, and they shouldn't have, but they could have. And the claiming team pays the remainder on the contract. And if no club keeps a player, he keeps on playing for his old club and nothing changes. And as we all know, for a player to be postseason eligible, he has to be on the roster by September 1st. So the waiver window, waiver window closed and these players were quickly placed on the 40-man roster. So they would be playoff eligible. Now, I don't know if you remember the old system, Dave. Do you remember how that worked? I don't. When it, when it came out, I, was, I saw Harrison Bader, how he got put on waivers. And then I was in shock that he was in the lineup the next day. Uh, one, because I thought it would have gone into effect right away. And two, I would have thought in good faith the Yankees would have kept him out. Uh, but yeah, no, remind our audience, just give them a little bit of background on how it used to be. Yeah, and so that was actually a perfect example with Harrison Bader. So what was funny about this new system is that these guys get placed on waivers, but then they're still in the lineup. So they essentially have a suitcase packed in the clubhouse just in case they're playing for a different team halfway through the game. But the old system um, had the, the trade deadline around July 31st, as it still is now. Now it's a couple days later. And then they had revocable waivers, which went until August 31st. So teams would dump a lot of players on revocable waivers 
because they could be pulled back at any time. And this was a way for teams to disguise who they might be interested in trading, suss out whether or not there was a market for them, and then try to sort out a deal. Because in those days, under that system, if a player cleared waivers, they could be traded. So it was kind of like a second trade deadline. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, it's, either way, it gets confusing with that stuff. I was concerned, and get your opinion on it. Like, for instance, Bader went on waivers. What, what if he gets, God forbid, gets injured in that game they play him? No one's going to claim him um, in that regard. Yeah, it would be hard. Or if someone claims him, and um, I don't know, what if you have a simultaneous claiming an injury? I don't know. Maybe that one winds up in a courtroom. That might be really in my wheelhouse. Yeah, right. That's another it'll add another component to to the business with with what you're doing. But yeah, I, I, I the waivers were very confusing this year. I was uh, I was honestly surprised to see the Yankees uh, put Bader out there, and you know we heard. Uh, I guess it allowed the young guys to come up, which I'm enjoying watching now. Oddly enough, I, I've enjoyed the young the youth movement there in New York. Oh my goodness, me too. And for Yankee and Mets fans, it's. Nice, because it's like throwing us a crumb. I mean, we got nothing to look for this month except the young guys, and they perform so nicely over the weekend. Yeah, there, there's a lot of good young talent there, and that's been the Yankees' MO uh, for a long time now, where they've had all these great young prospects in the farm system, and they've never they either, either have never developed them or promoted them or uh, they either kept them too long and, and or traded them. So it's nice to see this young group and. It's been a long time since the Yankees have uh, won a World Series, and I know that's the that's the desire every year for New York fans. There's no second place with it, but these young guys look like they've got something going on. I, I, I like you know the Martian, Jason Dominguez came up and homered in two of his first three games, and Austin Wells looks like a it's going to be a, a nice young catcher for them. And even around the infield, the young guys that have been up all year with Volpe and Cabrera and Peraza, you know, and, and uh, Pinera, if I'm saying that right, that the left fielder. Just uh, I, I love what they have, and then judges almost judge went from being the, you know, kind of the. And now he's almost thirty, but uh, he's the elder statesman now. Him and Glaber Torres, so it's uh, it's been a paradigm shift all the way around the last week. Isn't it funny, Dave? How you never stop enjoying seeing the young players. I mean, no matter what age you are, it's just such a pleasant jolt of freshness to see these new guys out there. It's hope, I guess, right? We see, we see potential. We see hope. There's energy because they're fighting for jobs right now. Gosh, they. And I went when I, you know, when you sign your contract, you you take really take a strong look at your number. And these young kids in youth sports, they all have their favorite number. But when you're a professional and you get your number, that tells you where you're on your pecking order. And when you see like Jason Dominguez, he's number eighty nine. You know, that tells you right there you're not you're not going to be up very long when you get that in spring training. So we're seeing some guys that were maybe not they may not have intended for them to be up this year because there was higher expectations, but that could be a blessing in disguise. Now you tell me, since this is more in your wheelhouse, but it seems to me that when these young guys come up, they always come on with a boom. They always do really well out of the gate. Is that because the pitchers don't have a book on them yet? Well, and I won't say this because I don't have any experience in hitting in the major leagues, but I've been told that you know, the, the different some one of the differences the minor league pitchers, the major league pitchers throw just as hard as one another. The difference is the major league guys tend to have more control. Now, a lot a lot of this year, there's 
little evidence to the contrary uh, with, uh, you know, with the way walks are, have come about, walks and strikeouts being the big phenom. But I think there's an enthusiasm, there's an excitement. The same thing we feel watching it now. We, we've got that renewed energy. You know, the balls are a little whiter. The the ground's a little flatter in the box. Uh, you know, the, every, every, the, the lights are a little bit brighter. The crowd's obviously louder. So there's, there's a lot of external factors. I think with any new player, it's hard to temper expectations, but even if they come out, you know, with a bang and, you know, they, they look like the greatest show on earth the first week or the other way around where they just struggle. I think it's important for all the fans watching is just to, you know, it's, it's a long journey. You give them opportunities to develop and it takes some time and, you know, and just give them a chance to make their mistakes and see how the biggest thing is when, when they do go too high, like, you know, Dominguez started out strong. How does he respond to that? Because there's going to be a low. And when he goes too low, how does he respond to that? And eventually he'll find that even keel. It, t- it takes time. It's the law of averages. So, um, yeah, I think it's fun to watch him come out of the gates. You saw his, I think Dominguez, you saw his family out there in the outfield. They had, he had I don't know, a dozen or so people uh, going crazy. First, first hit was a homer. So it's nice nice to see. I think it's just uh, – it brings us back to why we like baseball, I think, probably to answer your question. But the uh, the, the big excitement and the boom, they, you know, people tend to highlight that. You'll see that on ESPN, the, the ones that struggle – They'll wait till the end of the week and chronicle how they're 0 for 21 and get in their head. But uh, I like I like what the Yankees had, the young crop. I hope they can get their pitching healthy at some time. And I don't think they're going to climb out of the the cellar to get to the playoffs by any means. It would take a miracle. But, you know, at least we've got something to watch now with them. Yes, and I'm with you. I love seeing the families. And for me, it's part of the stories of baseball. And we're going to talk about more stories later. But I know that, you know, you and, and Kevin, you talk a lot about the influx of statistics in the game. And I am in favor of a combination, a balance of statistics and old school. But one of the things I don't like about statistics are that they ignore the stories. And the stories of the game are what makes the game so good. Yeah, well, you know, you hit on a great point because that's that's my rub on the whole analytics and on-field playing and trusting the instincts of people who have been there. I'm on both sides. I'm a former professional player. I'm a former college coach, but I have a, an advanced degree in analytics, so I understand both sides. And the key point to all of it that you made uh, very clearly is that numbers – are actually supposed to be words in baseball where analytics should be a word story. It should not be a finite number to tell good or bad. It's not black and white like that. So that's where it gets dangerous. That's where I I call it a weapon of math destruction. That's where it becomes very dangerous to the game, very dangerous to those that are being evaluated and development. I think if the numbers are used to tell a story and to encourage the story, now you've got the best of both worlds as you're, you're, you're wanting and and you're hoping for. And, you mentioned Aaron Judge a few minutes ago being an elder statesman. And I have really seen it in his eyes when he cheers on these young guys after home runs and their great performance over the past weekend. And I think he's enjoying that role. And I think fans enjoy seeing him in that role. And that's a story too. Yeah. And then as usual, like what I do in all of our podcasts, I tend to to take our hosts and and derail him a little bit. But um, yeah, I agree with you on Judge, uh, without a doubt. He's, he's proven to be a leader, and I just hope he can stay healthy 
longer so we can see more of them. Um, but you, you were going to, you were going to, I know in our show notes and as we discussed before, uh, you know, the waiver system is complicated enough, but what, what's the difference between people get mixed up between DFA'd and waivered? What, what's the difference? And I took you off that track. We were, we were going to talk to that and we got into, um, usual, my verbal parkour, but, uh, Bring, bring us back to that. What's the difference? Sure. And I always enjoy the back and forth anyway, because it's just great to sit and talk baseball with you. But yeah, the DFA, the designated for assignment system is different from the waiver system. When a player is DFA, that means the player is immediately removed from the club's 40-man roster. And so we talked about Bader being in the lineup the day that he was placed on waivers. That shows one of the differences right there. If he were DFA'd, he would have been gone. Uh, if the DFA is before the trade deadline, the player can still be traded or he can be placed on waivers. Um, and from there, he can either be claimed, released, or sent to the minors, depending on a little bit of a complicated system based on service time and other factors. But with waivers, if the player's not claimed, he just keeps on playing for his old club. Yeah, but then I've seen that in the past. Um, but yeah, th- those are those are complicated things that I think we hear as baseball fans sometimes. But until it affects our team and it affects them, you know, maybe with your favorite player, people probably don't get deep dive like you're giving us today. So that is uh, it's certainly appreciated. I know our, our audience is going to grab onto that a ton. So with our with our uh, our next segment, um, we're ready to ready to move on to that. Is we're going to talk about pivots. Um, I'll let you introduce our next segment and what you kind of meant by pivots. I noticed over the past couple of weeks, Dave, that there were some teams that had just done a pivot. They'd gone in different directions, some for better, some for worse. And I thought, why don't we do a pivots podcast? With, um, yeah. And then that's, that's that time of year. And I, with Jim Cotton, I spoke about this last week about the, you know, the, the different trade deadlines, you mentioned it earlier in this podcast, but how if the trade deadline were earlier in the year, people would have to spend time developing their players in the minor league system and worrying about moving those guys up as opposed to waivers and DFAs and trades and, and, and whatnot. But um, let's start out West. I mean, there's a young team out West, um, one of my favorite players to watch, Julio Rodriguez. And the Mariners, to me, surprised everybody this year. Maybe, maybe you weren't. Uh, I was. I'm in shock right now that they're in first place. Um, I saw. I watched Houston and Texas play yesterday, and I think they're only a game behind them right now in that division. But uh, that was a home run fest. I think it was 12 to six. But what are you seeing out there in Seattle? W- which way did they pivot in your mind? Well, they are on a surge, and I am totally with you because at the trade deadline. They were 55 and 52, and they traded their closer, Paul Seawold. So I was here on our trade deadline show saying, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I said they threw in the towel, but I was thinking they threw in the towel. And I kind of gave them a remote possibility of maybe still being in the mix. And then all of a sudden their offense surged and their pitching stayed strong. And I want to talk about their pitching a little bit because... Julio Rodriguez, look, he's a walking highlight reel. He's so entertaining. I love watching him. Did you see that play where he pretended not to catch the home run ball? Yeah. No, he's smart. He's he's well beyond his years in terms of how he plays the game. 
And I like people who entertain and have the talent to back it up. And I think he is in that category. But the Mariners have had this second half offensive resurgence led by J-Rod, but their young starting rotation has been good since April. And I want people to know that they deserve the credit. They have, well, they have Luis Castillo, which if you're a Yankee fan, you wish that the Yankees had gotten him at last year's trade deadline, but they didn't. Um, The Mariners did, and he has been performing great. But then they have these three very young starters. I think Castillo's 30, so he's pretty young, 29 or 30. But they have George Kirby at 25. They have Logan Gilbert at 26 and Bryce Miller at 25. And these three guys are a joy to watch. Yeah, they're, I mean, they, and they, it's not like they just became good. They've, they've been there for a few years now. We just, I guess, because we're East Coast biased, we don't pay as much attention to them. But Castillo was a great pickup for them. And as, as you said, I think everybody wanted him. He's an innings eater. He's one of those rare guys that'll go deep into games. He's not a four and two thirds and out. He's, he'll, he'll, he'll get you six or seven innings. I'm a big Logan Gilbert fan. I think he's oh, a workhorse. Why he's do you a, like him? I, you know, he, Again, old-fashioned, and in, and I guess it's analytics too. He throws early strikes. He prioritizes his fastball, and he works quickly. Uh, which t- to me, the working quickly again, I, I I'm not a big fan of legislating it, but working quickly from a baseball standpoint, if a pitcher understands a concept, batters don't like it because it's less time to process what happened the pitch before. Fielders love it; they're more alert behind you if you're back on the mound. And the fact that he throws a lot of strikes um, makes your defense more alert too. There's no defense for walks, and he is not a guy that puts guys on base. So uh, he he appears to pitch to contact, even though he'll get good strikeout numbers. Uh, but he's a workhorse. He does not miss a start. I guess is probably my most favorite thing about him. Every time it's his his day to post, you can count on him to start. So, and he, he's a young guy. No no real injury history. Knock on wood. Um, so I'm, I'm anxious to see how he continues to grow as a pitcher out there. That those that trio, if they can stay together, boy, what a phenomenal group. That's all you need in the playoffs, three good starters. Phenomenal. You're right. And I think that the three would probably be Castillo, Kirby, and Gilbert in that order. And I think Bryce Miller would probably go to the pen for the playoffs. I mean, I think he's a great starter, but sometimes in the playoffs, teams – move, prioritize the three-man, especially in the early series, and then try to move someone like Bryce Miller to the pen because he's he also has a great fastball and he's got a lot of movement on it, and that might be nice coming out of the pen. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Starters don't always adjust well. It's a whole different warm-up procedure and a different mentality. So I'll be curious to see what they do because the, the games are so spread out in the playoffs because of TV deals. So um, usually the traditional three-man rotation is what's gotten it done. But, you know, in today's today's odd world of baseball, you never know what people are going to come up with. So either way, I don't think they can go wrong. It's, it's four good guys to find three good starters. Um, you know, I think Mariners are sitting in a pretty good spot right now. They are, but unfortunately they lost two of three to the Mets last weekend. Well, unfortunately for the Mariners, yeah, um, not for the Mets. But now they're actually tied with the Astros for first because the Astros, like you said, beat up on Texas last night with a bunch of home runs. Oh my gosh, it was just, it was a it was a homer fest. I think the nine one hitters for Houston hit two 
they went back to back twice last night. So light hitting middle, middle infielder, or I'm in a light hitting outfielder. And then, um, Altuve went yard twice last night. So, but yeah, so we'll see that, that makes it exciting. I mean, and the other team we're going to get to next, the Rangers, they're part of that three team mix right there. It looks like all three will probably make the playoffs, but, um, nobody can catch those Orioles. So what, what are you seeing with the Rangers? What was that pivot like? Well, you know, we like Bruce Bochy, so this would be a bad pivot. I don't know if you want to call it a bad pivot, but they've definitely lost steam. They have seeded the AL West lead. They're now one game behind the Astros and Mariners. They had a five-game division lead in mid-July, so they still have a wild card spot if the playoffs were held today. Like you said, they're still going to be in, but they don't have the division lead. Yeah, it's 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 a tight race over there. Everybody's you know within that one game, and still got a few weeks to go. But the back end of the bullpen has struggled for Texas. I I, I love what they did this year. They went from really from irrelevant to now they're they're a playoff contender, maybe a division contender if they can get on a roll here. But that's the funny part about baseball. It's all about matchups. You saw that you know the Mets, like you said, uh, beat the Mariners two out of three. The Yankees swept the Astros, I believe the series before. So great part about baseball is anybody can beat anybody on any given day. It's probably different than, than most sports uh, in that regard. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what do you, what do you like about the Rangers? Any, anything catch your eye that gives you hope besides Bruce Bochy? Well, they have a lot of good matchups coming up. They have seven games left against the Mariners. They've got, they started this three game series against Houston last night. So they have, two games left to try to make that right. Um, And they need to turn it around. They had a mediocre August. They went, I think, 14 and 12. So not awful, but mediocre. And combine that with the Mariners surging and the Astros playing pretty solidly, uh, you know, they slipped. But I think you nailed it with the bullpen. They have the seventh worst bullpen ERA in MLB. And... Araldis Chapman has turned into the Araldis Chapman that Yankee fans knew and didn't love. He's been blowing a lot of saves. Yeah, and we, we saw that toward the tail end of his Yankee tenure as well. So it's good to see Texas uh, relevant. I, I love their middle. I love Seeger and Simeon. Uh, Seeger hit a bomb yesterday, dead center. It looked like he barely touched it. Um, just uh, it's got such a smooth stroke. And then the following inning, he booted a routine ground ball up the middle. Um, so that's such as baseball. But what about the? Uh, I guess in the the other league, you mentioned Mets, so we'll go to their division, the Phillies. Uh, you know, team that came on strong last year. Um, this year, Trey Turner struggled up until about a month ago, and then uh, I I love to see it because you know the Phil- the Philadelphia fans. I don't care what sport it is, they're brutal. People talk about the New York fans, but I mean, Philadelphia fans booed Santa Claus and a baby. So, um, I mean, that's about as low as you can get. And uh, but they had they have they've got love for Trey Turner, and he's responded. I mean, share a little bit what happened there. So we were talking about the stories of baseball earlier. This is a story. I mean, this is a feel good story. Trey Turner, we all know he was having a terrible year, and he signed a monster contract last off season, three hundred eleven million dollars, eleven year contract. And then he struggled. So this Philly sports talk radio host named Jack Fritz said in a Twitter post on August 3rd, 
He said, I know it's not easy to feel sorry for a guy making $300 million, but I do. And this guy, Jack Fritz, suggested a standing ovation in the next night's game. So the fans responded. The next night, they cheered and gave Trey Turner a standing ovation. And then they kept doing it. And Trey Turner responded. And you make such a good point when you talk about Philadelphia. Philly is a tough and gritty town. And it's a cool town. I like it. I've been there. It's edgy. They have good music. They have good restaurants. But it's not a team that, uh, not a city that's known for being touchy feely. Okay. So they stepped up to cheer on this player that was really struggling. And let me tell you, stories of the game, Turner has raised his batting average 23 points since Ovation Day. Uh, Pre-Ovation, he had 10 home runs this year. Post-Ovation, which is barely 25 games or so, post-Ovation, he has nine home runs. And then Trey Turner, this was nice, he bought several billboards, I guess, around the city to thank the fans, which was really great. And the team is responding. The Phillies are winning again. They went 16 and 10 in August on ovation day, August 4th. They were two games out of the top wild card spot. And now they're five and a half into up for the first wild card spot. Yeah. And we remember last year, they, they went on a run at the right time. And, um, you know, that, that story has been told and, that's the key to the playoffs. It's not so much, it is the body of work throughout the year, but it's who's peaking at the right time. And baseball is such a long season that that's hard to predict. And Trey Turner may be, you know, great. I'm sure it was a, it was a mental and physical struggle for him to hit so poorly this year, but he is, he's one of my favorite players to watch and he's a pro's pro. And, you know, maybe this is a feel good story at the end that August, that early August ovation will be one that we'll be talking about in October um, if the Phillies can get back to the World Series. Well, I think it ties in with something that you talked about in our last few podcasts, Dave. And you talked about how players respond, especially young players, to failure. And you just referenced it earlier, really, when you were talking about Jason Dominguez and some of the um, young Yankees, how they respond to success is one thing, but how they respond to failure. And I think that we've seen, with the help of the crowd, Trey Turner respond positively. Oh, certainly. And their their failures are different than, you know, just the average person. If, if uh, somebody fails in regular life, you know, maybe two or three people know about it, but when Trey Turner fails, you know, 20 million people know about it and it's in the paper and it's on the internet and it's all over social. So handling that input is, is, is gotta be challenging. I did not grow up in that generation. Uh, so I never had to deal with that as a player or a coach really. Um, we had our media, but it was a little different type of media back then. Now it's anybody with a phone is, is media, I guess. So I give him a lot of credit for doing that. He's, you know, again, he's a pro people can say, I don't feel sorry for him. He's making millions. He should be able to, he's a human being, you know, he's, He's a guy that just happens to play baseball better than than, than the average person. So um, he does. He's not going through anything differently than than anybody else who's going through failure, other than twenty million people get to experience his with him and have an opinion on it. So I'm glad for him. He, he's an even keeled player. He's never too high, never too low, and um, I'm glad he was rewarded with that show of appreciation for the fans because they know. I mean, they they he drives the ship there, 
And even the lineup, they, they moved them down. He was hitting seven. And that's, you know, that's a knock right there. That's a confidence knock. So baseball, baseball will crush you if you let it. And I'm glad he, uh, he's seeing the other side of this right now without question. So the other side too, with the, with these successes, when, gosh, when people fly too high, they forget what got them to that point. And when they do struggle, which is inevitable, they, they can't remember their true North. So it's, uh, as we said, baseball is a long season. It's, uh, it's got its ups and downs. And if you ride the roller coaster, you'll, you'll certainly get dizzy, but, uh, these guys, a guy like Turner, it doesn't surprise me what he did. He's, uh, Again, he's a pro's pro there. So now got a question for any other side of the spectrum. You and I both cheered the Angels at the trade deadline. I was vocal on more than one podcast about how they decided to keep Otani, keep Trout. And, and since that's happened, I mean, nothing but – I mean, I guess they did get Lucas Giolito, which was a sign of positive that they were looking to go. But the Angels have just taken a turn for which none of us predicted, I would guess. The Angels have gone beyond pivot and into face plant, Dave. It's terrible. They, gosh, last week they put six guys on waivers. Lucas Giolito, Matt Moore, Reynaldo Lopez, those last two being relievers. Hunter Renfro and Randall Grichik. And Grichik they had gotten at the trade deadline, um, like some of those pitchers. And also reliever Dominic Leone. So this was the major salary dump of this new waiver system. I think this was really the first time that there's been such a major salary dump on this new waiver system. So how many millions was it? I mean, it was ridiculous amount, right? It was over 200. Say again, please. How many, how much, how much money did they dump? It was, was it over 200 million? It was a big dump, but I can't tell you how much of a dump it was. I don't think it was that big. I think what they were trying to do was get under the $233 million threshold. Yeah, okay. That's where my brain was. So, I and it's unclear because the luxury tax calculation is something that's kind of done at the end of the season because they have to add in not just the salaries, but some bonuses and things. So it's unclear if they actually were able to get under that threshold to avoid taxes, but it was an interesting strategy. They wanted to do that not only to avoid the taxes, but also because Otani, if they issue him a qualifying offer after this season, and of course it will be rejected, they'll get a draft pick. And if they're under that $233 million threshold for the luxury tax, they will get a draft pick in a higher round. So I think that was a major motivation for them besides just getting these guys off the payroll. Yeah. And then we see, uh, you know, Mike Trout is still iffy. With his with his injury, he's got that unique hand wrist injury. I think from holding the hand so low on the the knob of the bat upon contact. But since 2017, we haven't seen Mike Trout play more than 140 games, and now we've got Otani out with his pitching injury. And then just last night, taking batting practice, he strained his oblique. So um, in a matter of a, a week plus, he may he's probably shelved for the rest of the year. You know, Dave, I didn't hear about that. He strained his oblique, and obliques have been such a problem of late with these players. Yeah, it's something that I don't remember. Again, I don't mean to sound like uh, you know Grandpa Simpson yelling on my lawn at the clouds, but I do not remember oblique injuries happening at all 
when I played. Again, that's, you know, 25 years ago. But, you know, nowadays it's so common. And Sal and I talk about it on the hot corner quite a bit about the way these these athletes are trying to they're trying to, I don't want to say fast track their baseball skills, but there's there's no supplement for getting stronger as a hitter like hitting a baseball. And when they're in that weight room heavy and they're, they're, they're doing movements that are weighted or abrupt or not balanced, uh, th- there's a tendency, I guess, you know, to have these type of injuries. So we're seeing a ton of them. Now, obliques um, are, are just, they're, they're like the sprained ankle of the past. Wow, that's terrible. The, I mean, the Angels have really gotten it since the trade deadline. Yes, and you and me thought, you know what? They doubled down at the trade deadline. Good for them. And I stand by our assessments at the time because, yeah. you know, they had Otani. They weren't going to get as much for him as they would have gotten if they traded him last year. So they just went all in. But yeah, then they did this total face plant. They suffered a pivot in losing Otani's pitching and now perhaps his hitting. Um, and then they did another pivot in placing these guys on waivers. They have totally raised the white flag. They're 12 and a half games out of the wild card. Yeah. it's uh, And the Yankees did the same thing. They, they waiver wired to try to get under that luxury tax. And it's a strategy that I don't think fans appreciate. They obviously, you know, they want to go see, they paid, you know, just like the Mets, the Mets, you know, ticket prices were through the roof and Scherzer Verlander, uh, you know, a, a cry for, Hey, we're going to win the world series. And when they traded them, I don't know if they reduced ticket prices, but those season ticket holders, I'm guaranteeing didn't get a refund for, uh, for the prices they paid. So yeah, I, I was, I, and I won't go back on our cheering for the angels either. I'm, I'm glad they did what they did. They they're trying to keep Otani. He's, the most exciting player in baseball with what he does. I'm not even sure he's real with the things he does. And I like his approach and trout the same thing. There's, there's nobody better when he's healthy to have two of those guys in the same lineup and never see him in the playoffs. is just, it's a, it's a crime. Well, I have to be honest. I hope Otani goes to another team next year. I, I hope he comes to an East coast team. Cause I just want to see him more greedily, but I don't know. I'm, I'm, hoping he makes a decision besides the angels. Well, you, you must have a team in mind. Who do you want him to go to? Well, like I said, I'd love to see him on the East coast just cause I want to see him. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of realistic possibilities for him combined with impact for the receiving team, I think the Mariners are a good possibility. He would be not that far from home and the, crowd has certainly expressed to him that they want him there and it's a fun young team yeah you see him in seattle i didn't even think about that adding him that to that rotation that we just chronicled would be scary oh forget about it Can you imagine I have, I have a hard time seeing the yankees not especially with what's going on this year not tossing a bid in for him um you know, I don't. I don't even know what to think of the Mets anymore. If you saw recently, they said Pete Alonso is on the trade block for the off season, which is, uh, I'm sure, disappointing for Mets fans. Seeing how for the last five years he's put up over 40 homers and he's kind of the face of the franchise. So that's uh, that's sad in itself. So, uh, but the Phillies seem to be a welcoming environment. Maybe we'll end up in Philadelphia. Who knows? 
Well, Alonzo is not making it easy on the Mets uh, front office because he had a great weekend and hit yeah. more home runs. And I was having, I, I saw those rumors too. And it's so hard to know what's clickbait and what's for real because maybe I'm naive, but I just can't imagine the Mets not re-signing Alonzo. He's a fan favorite. He's homegrown. I, I just think he stays. Yeah, it's, it's it would be crazy, almost be baseball suicide to do that. So I'm uh, I'm hoping he stays in New York too. He seems to he's produced there. Uh, he's he's a guy to build around. I, I almost liken it to the way the Braves were, if you can remember that far back when they were at this crux where Freddie Freeman was their best player, first baseman, and they had to make a decision. This was before the Dodgers situation. Do we build around Freddie Freeman or do we trade him? And they decided to build around him, and you know the rest was history. They they built a nice another good young crop of Atlanta Braves uh, guys developed through the system. And you know at the end now Freeman's gone, but they still have their their engine moving because Atlanta could be the best team in baseball right now. Oh my God, they're unstoppable. I mean, they're almost superhuman. Yeah, and you think about it. If if, if at any other organization, you said, well. The guy that we just uh, didn't didn't bring back is going to be an MVP this year, but we still dominate the, the league. They they got a good one in Matt Olson though, but I love their their lineup is homegrown. It's all guys that came up through their system, and it's a lot of southeastern guys. They they really hit the state of Georgia hard to sign their talent. Right? See, it's not just numbers. There they are looking in their own backyard, and they get players who are good who really want to play there because it makes them happy, and then they stay. Yeah, happiness understated in, in baseball. Well, the last group, I didn't mean to, to sidetrack us with the Braves, but the last pivot group, and it's kind of funny. I was reading your notes on it, and my uh, you, you you captured my thoughts on the Milwaukee Brewers uh, very well with your notes on how you feel about whether they're a pivot or not because the Brewers are one of those teams, and I don't mean this in a negative way, kind of like they're, they're always just there, and they, they've got good, good strong pitching. Uh, they, they always have a good rotation. Uh, I like their lineup. And, uh, you know, they've got, they have, these guys aren't household names. I mean, I guess, you know, Kristen Yelich is, he's doing, having a really good year this year, but, um, they've got guys in the lineup that I think the average baseball fans would be like, who is that? Um, but what are your thoughts on the Brewers with their pivots? hundred percent. I don't know a lot about the Brewers and I feel like I have to start learning. They're, um, they're up two and a half over the Cubs, although the Cubs are actually playing pretty well. Yeah, I've enjoyed them. That's 10. Yeah. So that's the NL Central is not the the hellhole, pardon my language, that the AL Central is. Um, the NL Central is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, the Brewers had a nine-game hitting streak, uh, winning streak in August. They had a very strong performance by their offense. They got Mark Canna from the Mets. Yeah, um, Mets fans are going to remember him fondly. They have William Contreras, Rowdy Tellez, that big guy, um, Willie Adamas, Christian, Christian Yelich, as you mentioned. So they have a good offense. They have a good pitching staff. They've had this Corbin Burns who's had an up and down season, but he's still good. You know, let's face it. He's still good. Um, Freddie Peralta was the NL pitcher of the month in August. Brandon Woodruff is back after missing four months. Um, Wade Miley, I guess is a good fast worker. He missed a yeah. month with elbow trouble, but now he's back and good lefty throws strikes. He's a lefty. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, you know, so we'll, we'll see where they go. 
Yeah, and Woodruff's Woodruff is he's always in when he's healthy. He's in the the Cy Young conversation. He's that good. But I think last starts through six, uh, eight strikeouts. So the, the Brewers, kind of like what we were talking about with Castillo, uh, they let their guys go deeper into games. They're throwing, you know, six, seven innings, and I think that helps out during this home stretch because everybody's tired. You know, in the beginning, and you, we, we talked about this early about the young guys coming up. Like when you're when you're fresh, that's the first. 33% of, you know, when you're going after something new, everybody's got the energy, everybody's got the mental concentration. That next 33% is when, we're, you know, you're a little banged up and you're a little dry with your, your mental fatigue. You know, how do you respond to that? And that last 33% is just everything is not going right and you're, you don't want to even go. You don't want to play, you don't want to work. The ones that can get through that phase are the ones that have success this time of year because the banged up time is over. Everybody's banged up. This part now where you're waking up and say, okay, I got to get to the park today. It's game, you know, 106 or 140 something. I've got 14 more to go or 20 more to go to get the 162. The Brewers staff, I think, is conditioned for this time of year because they have been, not only have they been throwing six, seven innings a pop, they'll, when they get to the playoffs, that's what you need. All of a sudden, this analytics stuff goes out the window because the sample size isn't big. And they start going back to old fashioned baseball where starters go deep into games and, and uh, they bunt guys over and all sorts of good stuff that happens. So watch watch Woodruff and Peralta in the playoffs. I think those will be two key guys we'll be looking at. Yeah, I think that um, we're all going to get a little Brewers education. And they've never won a World Series, right? Um, I don't know if they won run back with Yant and Molitor. I'd have to look it up. That, that would be a long time ago, though. That would be back in the, the 80s. But I know they were in the World Series with Yant and Molitor. Played the Cardinals, if I remember properly. But uh, I'll have to look that up, put that in the show notes. Yeah, I think they're one of uh, one of the six teams that have never won. Gotten close. But, yeah, that was Yount, Molitor, I think Gant, Gantner, Ben Ogilvie, Gorman Thomas. Uh, th- those were the, that was the team that made it there. But I do think the Cardinals won that year um, and, and beat them. But, yeah, it's, uh, and it's good. I mean, they've got a good staff. Uh, they're good, they've had a good bullpen um, in the past. So big team to watch. They're, again, boring. But uh, boring wins in the playoffs because it's just fielding the balls you're supposed to field, throwing strikes, you know, nothing fancy, nothing crazy, just getting the job done. So I, uh, I, I, it was funny. I read that and I just kind of laughed. I was like, you know what? That embodies your, your show notes embodied the Milwaukee Brewers. People kind of like, okay, the Brewers, they're there every year. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be fun to see them push through. Well, I'm glad you thought that was funny because, yeah, I just said, I don't know a lot about these guys and I do have to learn because they are around. Well, I think outside of Milwaukee, you probably speak for most of America on that. So it's uh, it's not uncommon. So with um, and and I don't want to skip a team. If I did, please correct me and pull me back. But, uh, you know, we're, we're getting to our closing segment of what's good to eat. And I found. That this week I was watching the the Astros. We had a baseball tournament this weekend, so we didn't. I didn't get to watch much baseball other than my team. But uh, I was watching the Astros uh, play last night uh, in the Homer Fest with Texas, and I found myself cognizant of what I was eating really for the first time. I was at my my wife. We went over to her parents' house. We just moved here, and I found myself snacking on when I was there. We had cheeseburgers, and there was deviled eggs, and cannolis were out, and uh, I was drinking a cup of coffee as usual watching the game, getting beat Monopoly. So <laughs> that is fantastic. Let me tell you, deviled eggs are such an underrated, delicious hors d'oeuvre, very retro, kind of like a pig in a blanket. I mean, there's nothing bad you can say about them. Yeah, I, I, I could eat them 
by the dozen. I think I probably did last night during the game. But uh, the mini cannolis, which are too easy to eat, I prefer the bigger ones because I don't only have one or two. But with the mini ones, you just kind of you pop them in like they're M and M's and eat them all day. So, but uh, yeah, I had a cup of coffee and I did have a red stripe. My my father in law drinks red stripe though. The, I don't know if you remember that commercial, "Hooray for Beer." It's the Jamaican beer, and uh, the, the commercial is really kind of just nothing. Some random guy walking around and goes, "Hooray for beer." And uh, so I had a red stripe there. If our audience hasn't doesn't remember that commercial, you get a good laugh if you watch it. I I am very happy that there were cannoli there last night. There was like a little Italian representation. I think that's yeah. My my mother in law was going to make baked zitis, but my father in law got a new grill and he wanted to do hot dogs and cheeseburgers for the kids. So we went in that direction. And we'll probably do the baked zitis tonight. But um, well, we'll get to what you enough about what I eat. What's what's uh, what's on your your menu for today's what's good to eat? Well, I do like to work with the seasons, as you know. And so today's what's good to eat while you're watching a ball game is plum tort. Now, you may not have had plum tort before. It is an old family recipe for me that originally appeared in the New York Times some, I don't know, 25 years ago. And the author was Marion Burroughs. And this plum tort is delectably made with the small Italian plums that are in the market, really just for the month of September, we get them. And this is my husband's birthday is in September. And this is always what he wants for his birthday cake is he wants me to make the Marion Burroughs Italian plum tort and put the candles in it so he can blow them out. So he, he'll be happy as a clam when I go to the market and get those Italian plums. That's awesome. And how is the, uh, the canning coming along with the tomato sauce? Oh, my God. Our canning went great. We got it all done in one marathon day. We did the prep the day that I signed off the podcast with you. So that was a Monday. And then we showed up at the crack of dawn on Tuesday and we worked all day, and it's my brother and I, we're both of Italian descent, um, and our spouses who don't have an ounce of Italian blood in them, but they are really team players, and the four of us got it done. Well, if they want to eat it, they will be, right? Right. That's it. Well, no, I think uh, that that's phenomenal, and you can tell you're making a dent with me. I got very aware of what I was eating during the game yesterday, probably subconsciously prepping for the show today, but... Um, little odd combination. I do not recommend the, the deviled egg cannoli combination to anybody out there. It'll, it'll, uh, especially washed down with a red stripe. Probably not the best. It's a little weird, but I'm not going to judge. And I'm personally really excited that you were mindful of what you were eating while watching the game. I'm actually smiling. You can't see You're you're impacting the world one person at a time. (laughs) The food. Um, remind the audience, cause I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you on Facebook, but remind the audience, the, the, the social networks, they can find you on the tags on there. And, um, and then again, we're not going to share yet where you're going to be speaking, but just kind of, again, like you did in the beginning chronicle, what you're going to be doing coming fall and, and, and with speaking and whatnot. Sure. And thanks Dave. I'm on Facebook. The page is three inning fan. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at three inning fam. Three is all spelled out. And I drop three, what I call the three inning minute videos once a week. And in these videos, in about a minute, sometimes they're 90 seconds, I explain some aspect of the ball game. It might be a legal or transactional aspect of the game, like how the waiver system works 
or it might be a nostalgic aspect of the game or something about current events, like why the Mariners are so good right now. That was last week's video. And I'm also available for live lectures. And so I hope that you'll follow me along and um, keep up with everything I'm doing and certainly reach out if you'd like a lecture. I was going to ask that if, if in our audiences, are, are all of our podcast hosts are, are out there uh, being sought after for whatever their topics are, what's an appropriate way to reach out to you if somebody does want you to speak? Sure. They can send me a message on social media or email me at kelly at threeinningfan.com. And Kelly is K-E-L-L-E-Y. Yeah, please do so. You, you guys will not be disappointed. There's... Um, there's a unique perspective with how Kelly sees the game. I get more access, obviously, because we're interactive on social and then by text and calls and preparations for the show. But um, you guys get a glimpse of it here in 45 minutes to an hour every week. But if there are businesses, sports groups, whatever it may be, um, spouses, as we talked about earlier, not just females, but the males too, uh, spouses that want to get educated on the game. I, I think a lot of what you do is it's very informative, but it's fun too. So I would encourage our audience to reach out at uh, support her and what she's doing because it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous add on to baseball out there. It's phenomenal for us to be affiliated together. But, um, also I think the in-person version of, of you would be probably even better because you have to be specific to the group. And, and I, I would just want to encourage people to do that if they're not already. Thank you so much, Dave. And I would like to point out that my name, Three Inning Fan, actually stemmed from me trying to get my gal pals to watch ball games with me. And I'd say, you know, you don't have to watch the whole game. Just watch three innings with me. Yeah, get them one inning at a time. You'll, you'll hook them with that question. What did we forget today? What, what, what else do you want to add? What do you want to leave the audience with? And, and do you want to tease anything for two weeks? We'll be back. Let's see, probably the... Next, let's see that that week of the 18th of September will probably be our next show here. So what do you want to add or what did we forget today? Well, by the time we liaise on the 18th, the playoff picture will probably be taking shape. Um, but on Thursday, I do have a new three inning minute dropping on social. So I hope everybody who's not following along will follow by then. And it'll be a nice little piece of nostalgia, especially for Yankee fans. Nice. And now, just for our audience, is there a regular schedule for the, the, the drops, or are they going to be as you see fit? They're usually at least once a week, but there's not a regular schedule because sometimes something comes up, like Thursday is an anniversary date of something. And um, so- Don't give too much away. Don't give them all of it. We'll right, make no, but that's good though. So continue to just follow Kelly. She mentioned her, her Facebook page as well. We'll be tagging that in our Facebook post. We put it out there so you'll get a chance to see that as well. But Kelly, once again, wonderful show. Always well prepared for it. Uh, total different perspective um, than our other podcasts, which is what I like about our podcast network. It's everybody's show is different, but somehow we thread it together. And then congratulations to you. I didn't get to congratulate you personally because um, it was last week and, and your show is every other week. But um, on our network and, and you being now included in iHeart. I am so excited about iHeart. It's really great. And the thanks goes to you, Dave. Well, I, I'm, uh, I'm fortunate to have uh, connected with all of all of you guys. Uh, some I don't even know how. I, I should trace that back. That would be a good show. 
but we've got a good group together, a good team. Everybody is a major contributor in their own ways and somehow we mesh. So I'm, I'm glad for everybody that we've been able to do that. And, and thank you for recognizing me. I appreciate that. But, um, with that now, we've got episode 272. Now, I can't believe we're that many. Um, a, a date in October with KFT uh, in the books now, close to 50,000 subscribers, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices. Make sure you, when you get to the show online, give Kelly five stars, write some nice comments in there because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like you guys do in baseball. And because we battled them, we're at the point we're at now with iHeartRadio. So thanks again, Kelly, for a great show today. Dave, it was a pleasure. See you in a couple of weeks. Sounds good.